then approached and said, teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the son of man has no place to lay his head. Another of his disciples said to him, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. But Jesus said to him, follow me and let the dead bury their own dead. And when he got into the boat, his disciples followed him. A gale arose on the lake, so great that the boat was being swamped by the waves, but he was asleep. And they went and woke him up saying, Lord, save us, we are perishing. And he said to them, why are you afraid, you of little faith? Then he got up and rebuked the winds and the sea, and there was a dead calm. They were amazed, saying, what sort of man is this that even the winds and the sea obey him? When he came to the other side, to the country of the Gadarenes, two demoniacs came out of the tombs to meet him. They were so fierce that no one could pass that way. Suddenly they shouted, what have you to do with us, son of God? Have you come here to torment us before the time? Now a large herd of swine was feeding at some distance from them. The demons begged him, if you cast us out, send us into the herd of swine. And he said to them, go. So they came out and entered the swine. And suddenly the whole herd rushed down the steep bank into the lake and perished in the water. The swine herds ran off. And on going into the town, they told the whole story about what had happened to the demoniacs. Then the whole town came out to meet Jesus. And when they saw him, they begged him to leave their neighborhood. And after getting into a boat, he crossed the water and came to his own town. This is the word of the Lord. Check, check. Good morning. So um, when I first wrote this, I had down that this was a few years ago, but then I looked it up and it was 10 years ago. There was a, a band, kind of popular, but they didn't want to be too popular. They're that kind of band called The National. And 10 years ago, they had a song called Graceless. Uh, it's kind of a dark song. It was about mental health and medication and side effects and such. Just lovely. And the singer, I, quite, I, I, I know the song enough that I, I like the band somewhat, but one of those singers that mumbles a little bit instead of sings, and that's kind of the power of the thing, kind of just monotone type of... Um. And this song was called Graceless. One of the lines is, or I'll read you a little bit, I'm trying, but I'm gone through the glass again. Just come and find me. See the mental health stuff in there? And then the next line is the one that resonates... This is kind of the cheeriest part of the song. It's like, I'm trying, but I'm gone through the glass again. Just come and find me. Like it's a little bit bouncy, at least for the national. Just come and find me. And then the next line, God loves everybody. Don't remind me. I think it's the best line in the song, actually. Um, he, t he continues on. He says, I took the medicine and I went missing. 
Just let me hear your voice. Just let me listen. Do you like to be told that God loves you? I mean, we should like it. But those of us who've been around, you know, just the world enough and faith and religion enough, society, we know that it depends. God loves you can sound incredibly comforting, can still our hearts, but we can hear it also as almost an accusation. God loves you, and you know that that person's trying to get you to sign up for something, or they know just what's missing in your life that you need. Do you like to be told that God loves you? So I identify with that line, God loves everybody, don't remind me. I think what he's writing is, what difference does it make even if it's true? This series, Epiphanies, I was thinking about this, praying about this last night and this morning. So it's easy to say when, when you're speaking on, you know, in this topic, in this series, the, the current thing you think, well, this is the one thing. But I think it likely is true in faith that the one epiphany, the only epiphany, is that God loves everybody. Everything else comes out of that. What else do you want to know? But what difference does it make? We're looking at Matthew chapters 8 and 9, these encounters with Jesus. We're saying that this is all epiphany. In Christian faith, of course, we hear Jesus saying, if you have seen me, you've seen the Father. You've had some kind of interaction with divinity. Knowing God's character, that's the claim. But these stories, looking in Matthew chapter 8 and 9, particularly, I mean, we talked about Jesus and the, and the man with leprosy last time, and that's just a beautiful little, he reached out and touched this man that nobody else would touch. It's, Jesus comes across really well in that story. In these ones, not quite as much. He seems tired. Well, he is tired. He seems a bit grumpy, dismissive. I think it's an interesting part then, an interesting passage of scripture to ask the question, what does it mean that God loves us? We can learn things here that maybe we couldn't learn in other places. So I'll give you the teaching points right off the top. The first is this, faith is better than what we can get out of it. It's not transactional. Many relationships in your life many things that you do on a day-to-day basis are transactional. If I do this, I get this. Or this is what you expect from me. Preaching can be transactional. Church leadership can be transactional. But faith is misunderstood in such ways. But there is not one person here who hasn't been touched by this. Some of you have been applauded for years because of your faith, because of your place in a community, a church, whatever. So that means something, you're getting something out of it. That doesn't mean, I'm not saying that's bad, but there's a danger of seeing things as transactional. We believe in Jesus so that you're saved, or so that you're blessed, or so that you're made better, or so that you're applauded. Faith is better than this. We have enough in our lives that's, that, that's transactional. Faith is something deeper. There is, and this is the second point, there is in faith... Peace and even calm. In my experience, and I say this not to castigate people, um, and also I would want to examine myself, but in my experience, some of the least peaceful 
people are the ones who claim to be speaking about God the most. Faith has about it some peace and calm. I'm not talking about personality traits. But in this story, we see that Jesus calms the storms of sea and soul. Jesus calms the storms of sea and soul. There's three scenes. Firstly, so we'll blitz through these. Two people make declarations to Jesus about following him. Then there's the story about the disciples in the boat, and they're getting really upset and freaking out. And then the third story is one of those stories that can be super disturbing and upsetting. And how do we talk about this in the pipe shop where somebody might overhear us? And they came there and the word demoniac was in the scripture reading. So the first scene, briefly. It's kind of like um, taxiing on the runway, these two interactions. So Jesus has encounters with two people. First, one is a respected religious leader, a scribe, somebody who had made it in life and was used to this kind of transactional way of the world, smart, educated, religious education. And they approach Jesus and they say, teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. I, would, I, I think that this man probably wanted Jesus to say, that is amazing. It is so good to have you as part of the team. Because this man was used to those kinds of accolades and also he would have been used to getting something out of the commitments that he made. So Jesus sees past this and with compassion, with compassion says to the man, foxes have dens and birds have nests, but the son of man has nowhere to lay his head. You know that he knows this man. If you're looking to get something out of this, you're asking the wrong questions. And we don't know what happens with this man. The second person, and this one's much tougher, again talking about following Jesus, but says, I'm going to follow you, but first I have to go bury my father. And then in one of these really troubling, difficult parts of scripture, Jesus says, let the dead bury their dead. In some sermons that I've heard, and I, I take this as a faulty interpretation, but some sermons that I've heard use this passage to say, you'd better make Jesus your priority, even over your family, even anything else in your life, Jesus has to come first. As if the way we order our lives is one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. Do you order your life that way? Let the dead bury their dead. There is something here that Jesus is speaking against this kind of compartmentalization and saying, if you're following me, you're following me with the whole of your life, even the act of burying a father that you've recently lost. This isn't accusation again, this is invitation. But if you've heard it as, you'd better darn well put Jesus first in your family. I don't know if following Jesus makes me a worse husband or father, then I don't understand what it means to be a father, and I don't understand what it means to follow Jesus. That's the first two scenes. The next, that's the first main scene. Let's put two of them together. The next big thing that's happening is then Jesus gets into a boat and the disciples get in with him and then you get these great like scriptural lines. So you can read it in the Bible, but I know you're more interested in these lines in your own life. They get in a boat and then these words, and there arose a great storm. 
So you have to translate that for yourself. How do you translate that line in your life? And there arose a great storm. And Jesus is with them. And the boat is being tossed. And what do, what do the disciples think? Well, they think the same thing that so many of us think when there are storms in our lives. They think, this is it. This one is the end. This one I will not get through. And they're thinking that together. And they wake him up. He's sleeping. What do you do with this? What kind of God sleeps when you're in the midst of a storm? Well, it's a central question in our lives. And you, sometimes you follow religious leaders and others who tell you that that will never, ever happen. God will give you what you want. He's asleep. And they wake him up. I think they shake him a little bit. And they literally are looking at the storm and I think saying, are you going to do anything about this? Do you care? Does this make any difference? And you know the rest of the story. Jesus gets up and he rebukes, it's an interesting word, he rebukes the waves and the wind and there was a great calm. But the disciples are now freaked out in a different way. They marveled or they were terrified Basically, now they're looking at one another saying, who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. God loves you. Does that mean that God freaks out when you're freaking out? Do you want God to? Our oldest son is now 25 years old, and he's six foot three, something like that. It's something as a dad, many, many of you experience this who have kids who've grown up, when you stop looking like this and you start looking like this. But when he was four, it was still like this. One day, this is a story, I remember my grade 11 social studies teacher said, there are only seven stories and three jokes in the whole world. Everything's a variation of it. There's kind of some truth in that. I tell, I'll tell this story over and over again. You may have heard it, but... When Aiden was four years old, um, we went to Future Shop. It's about the time. Do you remember DVDs? Well, DVDs were like a new technology then. Now they're like ancient. And Aiden wanted a Sesame Street DVD. And I can't remember why. Like, we decided he can get this DVD. And so I took him to Future Shop to buy this. And everything was going wonderfully. We went, we found it. You used to take it off the shelf. That's how you got your media then took it off the shelf, I handed it to, or Aiden had it, was walking up to the till, and as we get there, the young woman at the till smiles at Aiden, so cute, it really was cute. He's grasping this DVD, and then what did I do? Well, she stood there, she like made the signal, I'm going to need the DVD, I need to scan it. So I reach down, and I go to grab it, but he's really hanging on. So what do I do? I looked at her and I said, well, we're at an impasse here. No, of course not. I kind of tried nicely to take it from Aiden first. He held like this. He's always had that spirit about him. Kind of like, Nah. And then so I kind of quickly, you'll get it right back, Aiden. And then I a little bit more forcefully take it, hand it to her. What does he do? He freaks out. Ah! Right? What does she do? She smiles. She scans it. We, I mean, can you imagine if what she did was also freak out? Ah! 
Or as dad, should I do that? What would it look like in Future Shop? I sometimes want to go back. He starts screaming. His angst, by the way, was real. It was as real as the angst I feel over things in my life now. He wasn't pretending. He just didn't know. But had I started screaming, that would have been quite a scene. Do you want God to be in emotional turmoil when you're in emotional turmoil? To freak out when you're freaking out? It's a key concept in the spiritual life. We don't like this word, but the real spiritual masters are willing to use it. The apparent indifference of God as a virtue. That's what Aiden must have felt in that moment with his dad. And I didn't condemn him. I, I know there are parental models that would kind of get mad at him for being upset. I think those are damaging myself. But that is something that has happened in our society. Don't do this in the store. Learn to behave, you know, something like that. But I didn't do that. And Jesus, in this story, he doesn't yell at the disciples. He, doesn't, he uses there's this word, oh, you of little faith, and the translation there would be like little faiths. But it's not, con, it's not like a word of condemnation. It basically is saying, you don't get it. You don't understand. But then what does he do? He calms the storm. The final story begins... Well, it brings that error of thinking transactionally in faith out even more. It's the toughest of the stories. I'll summarize it briefly. Jesus gets Jesus and the disciples get to the other side of the sea. And the idea here is they're kind of like the dark side of things. They're like, you know, they get there. And as soon as they get there and out of the boat, two, and this is the two demoniacs, two demon-possessed men, that's the thinking of the day, come out of what's called the tombs. This is a Halloween story. Two demoniacs come out of the tombs and approach Jesus and basically start saying, you know, what are you going to do with us? We know who you are. These men we know had been rejected by the people in their village or their town, and so they'd been kind of cast into this shadow place. People stayed away from them. How do, we, how do you react to the word demons in Scripture? For some, these, for some, there is the understanding. Okay, well, when it uses the word demon there, healthier way to think of that now is some kind of mental illness, right? We used to explain it this way. We now explain it this way. There's other people who say, no, 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 no. We, we need to talk about spiritual warfare more and this kind of possession is real, that kind of thing. I don't really think it entirely matters other than we know there are unexplained forces at work here and they still exist in our lives. But it is enough to say, if you're one of those people, so I'm going to kind of fall on one side of this, which is closer to the you know, mental illness side. And, and that is that if you're one of those people who say, no, the Bible says this, so we've got to accept it like that. Well, the Bible also, in most parts of Scripture, hold, holds that the earth is flat. But you don't believe that anymore. But something is happening here where these men are so disturbed of spirit, so disturbed of mind, and they approach Jesus, and we're told that, like, the demons speak, the... the um, the disturbance speaks to Jesus. He's able to, to call this out. 
They seem to know that Jesus brings life and calm. So they say, cast us into the pigs. There's a herd nearby. And Jesus does this. There's this image of casting this disturbance, these demons, into the pigs. And then they, the pigs run down the bank and drown in the sea. You know the story, right? And word gets out. Word gets back to the rest of the people in the town because they're, they don't go to the tombs. They would have known of these men. And word gets out that the men have been healed. Shouldn't that be a cause of celebration? Well, except it cost the pigs. And there's some kind of commercial venture with the pigs, some kind of ways of making money. These men had been separated, rejected, but the townspeople don't say, isn't that wonderful that Jesus brings calm to these people who for so many years have been so disturbed and upset. They don't say that. They say, please leave our town. Why? They would have rather the men be separate and rejected if the cost of healing was any detriment to their livelihood. Of course, we could draw parallels today. How much could be solved in the world except not if it costs us? God loves everybody is good until it costs me money. The calm that Jesus brings, this peace that these men now know is so much deeper than we had previously imagined. Here again, Jesus calms the storms of sea and soul. It can sound trite and can be easily dismissed, but it's the longing we have for this peace. A peace beyond even the things that we want. In a way, it's why we gather to offer to one another in the world not shaking fingers and disappointment, not even some kind of life plan, not follow Jesus and you will get this, not an assurance that God will freak out according to your emotional temperature, but peace. A struggle often as a speaker because for me some of the formational years were in that time where the pastor was supposed to give like three points of application you know what I mean right so I'll tell you how you can apply this to your life I I always wrestled against it and I tried to jump through the hoops for a while and I'm not I'm not saying it's terrible some people it just wasn't I just I've always longed for this sense of listen to the spirit how do, how do I know how this applies to your life? I mean, I know what I long for for you. So, as we kind of close off these stories in consideration, it's allowing that space. It asks the questions, what does it mean, dear God, that you love me? What does it mean that you love everyone? What difference does it make? 
how is this the one epiphany I need in my life? Come Holy Spirit. May God give us ears to hear and eyes to see. Let me pray and then I'm going to invite Nicola up to share with us. Heavenly Father, we ask that we would see Jesus Christ. Lord Jesus, that we would see you and know what it means somehow. We know it's a spirit. It's not, it's not defined and closed by intellectual knowledge, but that we would know that you love us and others. We thank you for this text, these scriptures, and we pray that you would speak to us and shape us in Jesus' name. Amen. So Nicola's going to come up now and speak more epiphany. And uh, as she does, and there'll be a time of like being able to respond afterwards. Um, listen for those places, as Nicola and I were talking before, to Gerard Manley Hopkins' line, Christ plays in 10,000 places. Where do you see the love of God in places that are sometimes the least expected? Thanks, Todd. Am I okay, Dave? Okay. So, some epiphanies, the biblical epiphanies, are huge and tongues of fire and transformation. And some are tiny and ordinary. So, I wanted to tell you about a tiny, ordinary one that I witnessed. Um, I did tell this story at a Reflector Project online meeting. So, if you were in that meeting, you can do the Wordle or something. Have a good time. Um, so it took place in not this past November, but the November before. So if you remember, we were in deep pandemic. Um, this was the time of pretty strong restrictions, uh, masks all the time. Uh, the school that Dave Zimmerman and I work at uh, seemed to be a perpetual hot zone. So I think a lot of us felt sort of walking anywhere that, uh, you know, we were potentially contaminated and we were going to be the person that maybe brought something home to our families and um, our parents. Uh, I think we were all pretty anxious about the people around us, uh, that they were potentially infected and that any interaction was, you know, maybe fatal at the end. So I think that anxiety that we all carried... Um, so back in the last November, if you remember when you went to the grocery store, there were capacity limits, right? So if you went at a busy time, you had to stand outside. And you had to stand two meters away from the other person until it was your turn to go in. And we lined up, and it was cold. So it was November, so it was cold, and it was dark, and it was raining, and I was on my way home from work. And I stopped at the local Save On Foods, and I had to wait outside with about probably 15 other people waiting our turn. And it's one of those nights where it's pouring rain, come from work, trying to get home, everyone's busy, everyone's in a rush. And it's just darkness and car headlights and pavement and people rushing and hoods down and masks up. 
and there's that kid who's having his very first job, and it turns out he's a frontline worker now at the grocery store, and he's you know, trying to keep track of the people coming and going so we don't go over the capacity limit. So we're all lined up, you know, six feet apart, like we're supposed to be. And at the front, the Save on Foods, we live in Burnaby, Save on Foods has, you have to sort of line up along this glass wall, then you, they let you in and you go back along the inside of the glass wall, and you have to go sort of past this display. So it's kind of a narrow little chicane you've got to get around to get in. So the kid, there's this very elderly couple, comes along. Husband and wife, I assume. She is in rough shape. She's bent almost double with a cane. She's one of the ones who's wearing the mask under her nose. It's sort of sagging off, kind of half on an ear. And she's wandering in, and the, the kid on the door wisely lets them go ahead of the 15 of us that are standing outside. And then a bunch of people leave. So we're like, yes, here we go. We can all you know, do our big steps forward. We'll get in. She goes ahead. The kid on the door lets us a few more people in. There's probably, like I said, 15 people ahead of me. We go around the corner, and she stops. Because on the wall where you get around the chicane is a display of spring bulbs for forcing. You know the ones where you grow in a, in a bowl, and in the middle of February you have all these spring flowers? And so there's just this wall of boxes of flowers. And this little old lady with 15 cold, wet, hungry people behind her stops. And she looks up, and she stares at it. And she's not going anywhere. Her husband takes off into the store, and she's just staring. And every one of those 15 people stood silently and waited. And it was four or five minutes, I swear, until she finally moved on. And that's it. That's my story, my epiphany.